There are a couple of closely related questions that I'm frequently asked. As an AP, what's my role in helping to support the principal's vision? How do I lead if my principal and I have different leadership styles? How do I practice instructional or visionary leadership if I'm stuck doing butts, buses, and books? This gets at an essential challenge in developing principles because the job of the assistant principal is very different than the job of the principal. And it can be hard to prepare to be a principal when you're busy doing all of that AP stuff. These are questions focused on assistant principals, but the answers will be relevant to principals and other school leaders and district leaders. So I hope you'll stick around as we unpack what it means to be number two. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Ryan Donlin, a professor of educational leadership at Indiana State University, a former P-12 school leader and author of All Other Duties as Assigned, The Assistant Principal's Critical Role in Supporting Schools Inside and Out. Ryan is here with us today to help us explore what it means to be number two and how we stay authentic, relevant, and appropriate. This topic is focused on assistant principals, but people working above, below, or around APs should also be able to gain valuable insights into their own leadership. Hello, Ryan. Hey, Frederick. How's it going? Uh, it's been great. We were just talking, uh, getting getting into the new year here and sure. just excited for everything that's that's in store and in front of us. And you know, I'm always happy for a new start and a chance to kind of reset and reframe yes. and feel like we're starting fresh. I'll tell you, it, it's a profession that I have I have felt as a labor of love for many years. And one where, my goodness, we not only get an annual do-over, we get a semi-annual do-over or even a tri-semi-annual do-over, depending on the configuration of our schools. Frederick, it just doesn't get any better than this. I love it. And I think that's one of the things that's so powerful <laughs> that in some ways we know because we all do that reset two or three times a year. Sure. But I think sometimes we fail to appreciate just how special that is. Hey, before we go any further, can you tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are today? Oh, I, I certainly can. Well, thank you very much for mentioning. I'm I'm a professor of ed leadership. I spent 20 years in P-12 education in both teaching and leadership, inspired Frederick, primarily by two teachers, my fifth grade teacher and high school social studies teacher. Well, well, the latter of the two actually became later on in life the, the best man in my wedding, uh, an additional grandparent for, for my son and daughter, and just a, a hero um, his entire life. So I've got a wife and two kids, uh, and I have spent my professional career championing the underdog. Uh, some may call them at-risk students. I call them at-promise students. But just just kids that are incredible, and in some cases, uh, the school experience hasn't necessarily been one with them in a positive way. So I got an opportunity very early on in my career uh, to become an assistant principal. It uh, came with another position, the alternative education director. So you can imagine it came with championing kids. What I found out very quickly, Frederick, is that it also came with championing adults. It, it it was inextricably linked because it's it's this village that raises the child, as the saying goes. And my goodness, I found that teaching never had to end when assistant principaling began. And as assistant principaling continues, it's all about teaching. You just don't and never would want to get away from that and it is so cool. And that's what has inspired me to continue teaching, to continue writing, and to author the book, All Other Duties as a Sign. Thank you so much for mentioning that. Yeah, no, and that's, uh, I love what you just said. It, championing kids and championing teachers, you can't disentangle that. No, it's there. It's it's together. It's not coming apart. Awesome. So uh, I always like to start with celebrations, and we talked okay. a little bit off air, but what are you celebrating today? Oh, gosh, I am celebrating, well, I'm celebrating the new year, new opportunity. I'm celebrating my newfound partnership this past couple of years with Solution Tree Publishing. I'm celebrating a new friendship with you. 
and I'm celebrating Frederick a daily opportunity to be only as good as my next day's best work. And, and in such, uh, you've given me another opportunity to, to share some things and to learn some things from you as well and from our audience. Wow. Thanks, Ryan. And speaking of the book, uh, I sat down and went through your book last night and I really like it because I think it's full of actionable strategies and tools. So it's mm. not just stuff that I read, but but you really lay out how can I apply what I'm reading? And then you've got tools and um, forms and things that I can actually use mm. to help me do that work. And also I like how you combined what the research says, but also with your own experience. Okay. So it is research-based, but it's also very real and very accessible and just lots of practical application. Um, and then finally, it's just a really approachable writing style. So I feel like I feel like we've already had this conversation because I oh. went through your book last night. Um, <laughs> so I really appreciate that. And I actually want to, for listeners, read just a sample from page 164. And cool. Okay. You're, your topic here is visit just because. Oh, yes. Whether it's an informal visit, quick walkthrough, or formalized evaluation, it seems the scripting, logging, and scribing with tablet or clipboard in hand is more the rule than the exception. I suggest something completely different that may be even more important, a visit just because. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I love it too. And it's such a, we're, we're going to talk about this teaching, how it can go all different directions. And, and that's a part of teaching that has to do with motivating. And it not only motivates other folks, because you're just hanging out in their classroom just because, but it motivates us too, as assistant principals, we visit just because sometimes it's, 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 um, it can be a momentary stay against confusion. It can be a respite, but it can be an opportunity to recharge and you don't have to get out your 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 pad or your device or your, your notebook. Just go in there and see the magic made. That's all we got to do. And it's, it's truly a blessing. Ryan, that's something I advocate for too. And I've actually started to try to build language around that because I think that's one of the challenges when we say we're going to go into classrooms and do an observation, like what does that mean? Right. Um, what are we supposed to do? And then what are the teachers actually expecting from us? And then we wind up in that thing where we've created feedback junkies because every time I go in your classroom, I have to leave a sticky note or yep. an I wonder yep. statement. Ooh. And uh, so I call this this performative observation where okay. it's like I'm an audience member and I'm going into your classroom and you're giving a performance. So the the benefit is for me. I'm just there to enjoy and to appreciate wow. your performance. So it's you're not going to get any feedback from me because I'm there for me, for my own growth and for my own benefit. And it's not it's not about you in the sense of me trying to make you a better teacher. And and I think being able to have the language and to say this mm. is hey, I'm here for me today. So you know you're <laughs> not going to get this. Yeah, you're not going to get the sticky note. The pressure's off, and uh, I, I just think it's a way to kind of clarify some of the, oh, the purposes. Wow. Like that's one of the forms of observation that we do. Did you just call that a performative observation? Is that what the the, the term was? Yeah, performative. I talk about four patterns. Of, okay. Yeah, there's there's yeah. four patterns of observation, right? There's evaluative, which is the the kind sure. of formal policy type stuff, yeah. and then there's um, formative, which is what yep. we're doing. We're doing coaching cycles. And then there's performative, which we just talked about. And then what I call normative observations, which is when we're following up on professional development cycles. So if we all do a training on a specific reading practice and we're going to go out, then we want to follow up all the training we do. We want to follow that up with observations so that we can help people make sure that things are implemented with fidelity. And if there are barriers, mm. you know, we gather the data to, to help address that. So this is one of my one of my pet things. I think we can get a lot, become a lot more effective at how we use sure. observation simply by clarifying what we're trying to do with some good terminology. Absolutely, that is wonderful. Um, it, it basically lets everybody know what the ball game rules are before the game's played. You know, and and just I, I have a good friend who's big on disclosing our motives. Mm -hmm. You know, disclosing our motives before we're in a situation that can amp up the the angst a little bit, just the disclosure of motives. Hey, I'm here because of, because of, you know, 
that's a beautiful thing. Thanks for thanks for clarifying that for me. Yeah. <laughs> well, so so this and just so leaders know that or listeners know, this is the first time we've ever talked. We've had a yeah. couple, I think, um, text and maybe email exchanges, but I can always already tell we could probably do like 10 episodes today if we had the time. So we're gonna have to have you back. Um <laughs> But one of the things we talked about, we were talking about multiple things when planning yep. this podcast episode. And at some point you mentioned the role of the APs in influencing those mm -hmm. around them. And I jumped on that because as I said in the introduction, right, I hear those kinds of questions a lot. So let's dig into that. And in our email exchange, you said, quote, how number twos in leadership have influence and roles in all directions. Oh, yeah. continuously teaching up, teaching down and teaching around. And I just thought that is so powerful. We're going to, we're going to tackle that today. I love the idea. So what do you mean by up, down and around? Well, uh, thank you. Well, first of all, this is, this is a, I don't know if this is a theory, if this is a paradigm, this, if this is a framework, but it's something developing in my head, in my heart right now. And it comes out, you're kind of mentioning that I have a ton of strategies in, in, in the book. And I do. There's 50, 60 or more uh, inspired by over 150 cutting edge folks. And, and our experiences, my experiences, AP's experiences. So inductively, this thing started to coalesce. And I was sitting in, in this, this beautiful atrium I have in our building here at the campus of Indiana State University with a, with a friend and a colleague. And, and he wanted me to go with him overseas to talk to comparable leaders and, and uh, assistant principal types in schools. And, and I needed a way to do it and to make sense. So I started scratching this out on, on a legal pad. And I now have the snapshot of that first drawing in, in the All Other Duties as Assigned blog that I put on for, for folks who want just the rest of the story, what's in my head right now, okay? So I've been working on this for a few months now, and it's starting to come together. And it's, as a number two in an organization, we, we let's say assistant principal or dean or vice principal or whomever, the teaching never has to end when assistant principaling begins because we have a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly opportunity and more to teach up, to teach down, and to teach around. So when we're teaching up, down, and around, we got not only roles that we assume, but we've got either expectations or duties too. And, and I can detail them out and then we talk about whatever you want to talk about. So, so let's say when we're teaching up, we serve in the role of a confidant. And we think of, we teach up to our principal most of the time, our, our number one in the school, the principal. So when we're teaching up, we serve as a confidant. Uh, and, in, and in such, we safeguard, we serve, and we supplement the principal in what the principal wants to do. And those are specific roles or duties or expectations, and we can deal detail them out with strategies when we're serving, when we're safeguarding and supplementing as a confidant teaching up. Similarly, as a number two, we teach down. And we teach down and we serve in the role as a caretaker as a caretaker. And by teaching down, I primarily, I, it's just a directional arrow. I, I, I don't mean to seem like we're higher on any sort of status, right? But we're, let's just say teach down primarily to students or to families or to whomever, okay? Those who rely on us too as a caretaker, okay, we're their caretaker. We prescribe like a prescription. We give them guidance and advice. We protect and we problem solve. So as a caretaker, as we teach down, we prescribe, we protect, and we problem solve. And we do it all day long. It's just all day long, every day, every week, every year, every century eon, right? So then while we're teaching up, we're teaching down, we're also teaching around. And we teach up as a confidant, we teach down as a caretaker, we teach around as a collaborator. And that's primarily with other adults in the building, fellow assistant principals, teachers, staff, paraprofessionals, school psychologists, custodians, lunch personnel, bus drivers, what, the other adults. And as a collaborator, we model, we manage, and we motivate. So we get to teach up as a confidant, we get to teach down as a caretaker, we get to teach around as a collaborator, and the teaching never ends when assistant principaling begins. And it's just, it's good stuff. It really is. And 
and it's developing. So this is formative. A couple of months from now, you and I might, we might find another, I mean, that's three-dimensional. We might find a fourth, you and I. <laughs> <laughs> My son's a real mathematician. He's now a freshman at Indiana State. So I'd have to ask him what fourth dimensions are all about. He might be able to uh, conceive of it for us. I, I can't right now, but that's just me. Well, I think you've got three things here and each of those has three things. So there's a, there's a nice symmetry to that. <laughs> so let's, let's look at the up piece. I think that's always okay. the piece that fascinates me the most. Um, okay. And part of it, I always think there's this, this piece of part of it is helping the print. You want to serve the principal and and further what the principal is trying to achieve. And I think, I think that's pretty common, but how do you help your principal grow? How, mm. how do you help them get better? And I I'm working with an assistant principal this year. She has been, she was an elementary school teacher, an elementary assistant principal, and then she yep. got moved into the middle school. So brand new to the middle school, but an experienced administrator. And now she has a principal who's a brand new principal. He was an assistant principal. So, so they're navigating this journey together and neither one of them has all the answers, right? They're both learning. Yeah. So how, yeah. as an assistant principal, do you help your principal grow in a way that, you know, that is respectful, but that also you can, you can push people to think a little bit. Yep. That's, that's okay. <clears throat> so of the three and, and the three, were serve, safeguard, and supplement. I think serve is where the action is and helping your principal to grow in, in a couple of different ways. Um, okay, so first of all, way back in the 1980s, Robert Kelly in the Harvard Business Review wrote an article called In Praise of Followers. Now, he had it going on because he, he talked about what effective followers were all about. And they were folks who were active, not passive, and they were independent critical thinkers. They were not dependent on critical thinkers. So he called effective followers active independent critical thinkers because, of course, if you're not, you're either an alienated follower, a sheep, or a yes person, as he put it, right? But you, you need to. So, so that's one of the ways you help your principal grow by being the one behind closed doors to be active, saying, hey, you know, hey, so-and-so, I love you, but you know, that dog's just not going to hunt. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, this, this may be bad if we walk out, you know, it may be. Now I'm going to march that hill with you once this door opens. However, let's think about that's being the independent critical thinker and you're providing another way behind closed doors in confidence. However, also realizing that the principal makes a decision, right? Your input is not democratic. Your input is not consensus. Your input is advisory as a number two most of the time. So, so that's one way you can do it <clears throat> is by serving as that independent thinking, critical, but loyal too. When you're serving, you are loyal. And then what happens is the other two will come into play to a certain degree. You, you know, once, once you roll it out, you want to safeguard so that, that the principal is not taking all the arrows. You, you want there to be enough learning opportunity in the mistakes made, but you also want to provide a little insulation in your other role of safeguarding the principal. And so then what you do too, in the third, remember, serve, safeguard, and supplement, then what you do is you offer things that you know really is in your kitchen or wheelhouse that might not be in your principal. Like for instance, over the course of my career, I was really good at reading the political landscape, okay? And sometimes my principals were, sometimes my, you know, my folks were not as much, right? But um, but I, I was pretty good at that. I also I also could get in front of the the folks and I could give a good um, spokesperson line. I could I could be the press secretary, so to speak, of the building. And I could do it in a way that that um, uh, honored the voices of those people who had concerns and and um, I could represent like that. So, if you allow yourself to be put in positions that supplement, not necessarily would supplant the principal's responsibility, but supplement in a way so that they can vicariously learn and grow and then possibly step into that and also realize reciprocally where you can learn from them. I think one of the biggest things in serving is helping your principal 
to connect the dots in school culture. And I talk about that in chapter three of my book. It's a strategy. Connect the dots in school culture. And if you do that, it's almost like the way business is conducted around here that will outlast any leader in a building because it has been the way the culture, the organizational culture has developed over years and years and years. And if you can see that like an x-ray machine, you can help your principal grow because you're whispering in their ear. And then the final thing I think assistant principals can do to allow the, the principal to grow is we need to, to own a way of being. We need to seek effectiveness, not justification. And I talk about that in chapter one, because every time we seek justification, in other words, when we take action, if we expect to be supported, if we expect that the principal is going to, you know, the principal has a wider pan. The, the, the principal, the assistant principal has a wider field of vision than teachers because we have more variables with which to contend. The principal's pan's even wider. Mm -hmm. And so all we can do as assistant principals is to do what we can do to the best of our ability to be effective for kids, for community, for schools. And then we've got to leave it in our principal's good hands. And so with that, they take what we have done. They either support us, hopefully more often than not or not. And then they embrace what they need to do next. And as such, then they own the dividends of that decision in as such because we're worried about our stuff not theirs too but again we're supplementing we're serving and we're safeguarding i think that allows principals to grow that's teaching up that's being a confidant it really is so i want to i want to bring out a couple of things there so the the first is is that idea of being complementary and i think that's something that sometimes we can forget about because we get focused on the tasks Okay. as opposed to who we are and what we bring and what we can offer. So I really like that, appreciate that idea of, of complimenting and knowing where, where our principle is strong, yep. maybe areas they're not so strong, and then how, how we can enhance leadership within the building by leveraging our strengths and supporting our principal in areas and also vice versa, right? How do we see yes. where they're strong and then and then we grow and and we we grow from that. So I think that's really good. Can you talk more about what you mean when you say your own way of being? <clears throat> Absolutely. So it 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 it's a really interesting it's a construct. I'm not sure if it started in the 50s or the 60s. I think the 70s that had already been around for 10 or 20 years. It was, oh gosh, the whole transactional analysis movement in psychology, Eric Byrne and okayness, being okay, where the optimal existential life position for all of us is that I'm okay, Frederick, and you're okay. Okay. If, if you and I are the principal and assistant principal or a parent in the assistant principal or a teacher in the assistant principal or whatever, in order for us to further navigate a positive relationship, that's where we're going to learn, we're going to grow, we're going to be honored, we're going to mutually respect each other. We've each got to be okay, which basically means that no matter what it is, it's you and me versus that thing that has inserted itself into our life. It's not you versus me. It's when either you're not okay or I'm not okay. If, if I come at, I'm okay, you're not okay, I start getting pejorative. It's almost like the finger wag type of thing. I'm judgmental. You know, I, I, am, I am dismissive. You know, I am... My, my, my pan is no longer wide. It's very narrow. I'm not just prescribing. I am shoving something down your throat. And it, it's not necessarily what the doctor would order, so to speak. Now, if you're okay and I'm not okay, then I'm either being self-deprecating to a fault. I'm either questioning my own worth. I'm pensive. I'm not taking action when I should. <clears throat> so the okay, okay. So a way of being means when we look at the world, no matter what hundred thing comes through our door or what hundredth call the principal makes to us to come down the hall to chat with them, that we're okay. All of a sudden, whoop, there's a variable in our life, but our way of being has to be okay. It's you and me, you and, me and we're going to make hay in this thing. And hopefully we can do it in a way that validates and provides voice 
and respects and honors the people around us because we're all good folks. We are thrust into these relationships with each other primarily through geography. <laughs> you know, I mean, my goodness, I'm in your world because somebody has declared that you're going to our school and somebody has declared that they're going to hire me. Um, let's let's make this work. And so the way of being is sort of like um, an effervescence way of looking at this gig, the assistant principalship as a true blessing. Hmm. And it's a blessing because what happens is when we're in the assistant principalship, our passion and purpose is coming together typically to help somebody who's not having an A day. It, it's just not, it, it, either they're not bringing their A game, the day didn't bring its A game, but but somebody's got a B or C game, if not worse. Yeah. And whether it's an adult or a child. Oh my goodness. <laughs> In fact, sometimes, oftentimes with the children, it's easier, Frederick. I mean, we know this. Yeah. Adults are very complicated versions of their childhood and adolescent selves, and that's okay too. But it's all the same stuff because we're all folks with needs. And so if we are, with a way of being, are here to help folks with their needs from the inside out, and we recognize that the way they're, hey, I got some. I discovered something on my walk this morning. I, I try to walk three to six miles a day in the cold weather. It's usually three, <clears throat> but I did. And it's called an adjacent space. I think you're going to like this. I'll keep it short. I was thinking, okay, how can I protect myself as, as an assistant principal from my blind spot? Well, then I had a thought, well, what if it isn't a blind spot? Because a blind spot is sort of like deficit thinking. I rather come at things from like a way of being from an asset perspective. So what if rather than having blind spots, we just have adjacent spaces? They're here. They're in the same position to, to the left and right of our field division, but they're not a blind spot. They're an adjacent space. It reminds me of back when I, now I'm watching like, um, you know, the 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 price is right in, in um, let's make a deal. And I'm seeing two of my favorite improv comedians who used to be on a show called Whose Line Is It Anyway? It's, it's Drew Carey and Wayne Brady, and they brought Ryan Stiles and others. They used to have this character. I'm not sure if it was three of them, but it's called the three-headed opera singer where they would link arms and they would have three heads next to each other and they would have to finish each other's sentences. And I think of having... Two heads, one to either side of my head, and each one of those heads is in a, an adjacent space. So it's like, okay, if I'm in a conversation with somebody and they're in a conversation with me, what if the person next to me was seeing things completely from their vantage point, not from mine? Completely with their life story, not from mine. And what if that imaginary head could whisper in my ear from an adjacent space to help me communicate more effectively and solve the problem in the way they want it solved, not the way that I would solve it. Uh, Nate Regeer, uh, one of my favorite authors and a good friend, uh, calls that a platinum rule rather than a golden rule. Do unto others the way they would want done unto them rather than the way you would want undone to you. And so it's just stuff that's going through my head, but it does have something to do with a way of being and I think we have this opportunity to be each and every day uh, in a way that not only works for us, but works for other people too. And I, I, I hope that I try to reflect that in my book with the strategies and the perspectives and, and just my way of being a, as an author and in and, and me. I, I think about that way of being as being related to that idea of authenticity. Love it. Right. And because if I'm if I'm being authentic, which isn't easy, right? But if I'm right. if I'm being authentic and I work at my authenticity and I work to prioritize the things that are in line with what I value and to behave in the ways that reflect my own values. When I'm when I'm can be authentic and I am just being, then I think I'm naturally going to be having more of an impact right because i'm i'm going to be true and people are going to recognize that that there is that kind of sincerity or that authenticity to me and i think of of that being being myself being my authentic self in 
as opposed to me trying to calculate everything, right? Or mm -hmm. what, what should I do here? And what, not that, I mean, we need to be reflective, but we need to be yeah. reflective in a way of, okay, how, how are we going to take care of people in this situation versus what's the calculation that I need to make? I don't know if I'm being clear on that. I think it's wonderful. You know what that takes too? That takes a lot of strength because to be authentic, don't we need to be vulnerable as well? And you were talking about culture earlier. And so let's let's mm. pull that into this because I, I think vulnerability is is so critical. And one of the things that I've really been wrestling a, a lot as I'm talking to assistant principals and, and working in some schools is the the whole notion of growth. And we talk a lot about student growth. Yeah. We don't talk that much about teacher growth. I don't think in a, in a real holistic sense, we have PLCs and we have workshops and we want people to implement new practices, but, but we really don't talk about teachers as being professionals who are continually growing or we don't, maybe we talk about it. We don't act on it enough. <laughs> and, and we have this expectation that we want our teachers to be growing and yet that takes vulnerability. And then going back as leaders, are we actually moderate, modeling that vulnerability from the get-go? Do our, do our teachers know where we want to get better and how we want to grow? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking in my own business, I just met my, my daughter, Mara, is our inclusion strategist and just helps yep. me do everything that I'm doing. And so we just this morning had our kind of 2023 20, year kickoff meeting and talking about our goals and, and what are the core strategies that we need to be able to execute in order to achieve our goals. And then I thought, okay, that's great that she and I know about that. But am I modeling that for my audience, right? Have, am I going to tell people, step up and say, yeah, here's the focus on our business. Here's how we're going to do better serving you this year and model that bone and, and it have be vulnerable by sharing those things out, but then model that. And then, mm. and then I can ask the audience to do, to do the same, right? If I'm willing to share with you what I'm working on and, and ask for some accountability, then that means that we're building that culture where that's the expectation and, and you can do that too. So I think as school leaders, we need to be real transparent about what we're trying to grow at, what we're trying to get better at and consistently share that with our teachers and ask for their support and ask for their help, which then makes it, I think, a lot more appealing when we're pushing into classrooms and we're asking them to grow or we're asking them how they want to grow, right? Now, now there's an equity in that situation that I think um, is really positive. I, I think you're really onto something here. I am glad that you had that conversation with Mara about 2023, but using it as a springboard to make the point, we've got to disclose publicly what we're wanting and needing to grow at. And there's two different ways to do it. Well, there's probably many, but a couple as I see it, and one's even more hard than the other. One is to disclose what we think we need to do to grow. Because that's difficult enough because then we're being vulnerable, sort of like in an aquarium with all the other adults. And just like kids, we don't come to work, spend a thousand hours a week trying to be embarrassed in front of our colleagues, right? We just don't want to do that. But imagine this, take it one step further. I, I, I share this in terms of teaching around when we talk about being a collaborator in modeling. Part of modeling in chapter nine, I talk about connect through co-teaching. And so part of co-teaching, it can be done the easy way or it can be done the hard work way. I mean, co-teach with a teacher who can't teach too well, you look like a rock star, right? Co-teach with the best teacher in the building who the kids are disappointed when they're not in the class and when they're not given the lesson. That's what, I mean, that's when you really have to bring game and step up. But imagine if as assistant principals, we went and not only shared with our teachers and staff what we want and feel that we need to grow, 
but ask them, okay, I'm in your classes. I'm in here doing observations. I'm, I'm in here just because, but I'm also here to do these other things too, which is to observe, to provide feedback, maybe do some clinical observation, provide a performance evaluation. Okay, so in order for me to deserve your street cred, street credibility, what do you think I need to grow at? And then asking them as our friends and colleagues and and. I often will say the true instructional leaders in the building are really the best teachers, you know? And so for them to say, okay, AP, come on in, but we'd like to see you try this on for size and then you do it, then you get their feedback. That's the reciprocity that I would love to see. And that's putting vulnerability out there like with a capital V. Yeah. <laughs> and it, wouldn't that be fun though? I mean, wouldn't that be a, I, I mean, maybe not for some, but it'd be fun for me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I I um, I have this ten minute vignette that uh -huh. uh, video that I I share with assistant principals a lot, and it's it's kind of your your classic stereotypical nineteen seventies nineteen eighties social studies teacher who gets up and it's civics and they're trying to monotone going through the chapter and bullet points and things, and so it's a disaster of a lesson <laughs> at, at every level. <laughs> Love it. But I'll I'll ask assistant principals then, what would you work with this person on? If you okay. just observe this lesson, what's the feedback you're going to give? And the thing is, if I have 10 APs in the rule in the room, there are at least five different things that APs will say, oh, this is this is the thing that I would work with them on. Okay. And and what that tells me is there is not one specific thing that is the magic bullet in that situation. If I go in and watch a teacher and I see five different things that they could get better at, yeah. does it really matter which one they get better at? Which then leads me to the idea that instead of us telling that teacher what they should improve on, why not have the conversation and say, hey, <laughs> how'd that lesson go? Uh, these kids these days, right? Oh, you don't sound too happy about it. Well, you know, all this stuff. Okay, what can I do to help you? Because right. it doesn't matter. Maybe they want maybe they want help on how to ask better questions, or maybe they want the kids to participate more, even though they don't know what that looks like. Or, you know, it could be any number of things. It yeah. doesn't matter which of those things they get better at. But if we support them and they can grow, they're going to feel better about it. And now we're in that we're in that place where we are their partner. We are supporting them in growth instead of trying to drag them in growth. So it just and so one of the other things I'm trying to emphasize this year to get administrators to like trust your teachers more. It doesn't mm -hmm. matter what they want their focus to be. What matters is that you're able to help them grow into the areas that are important for them because that then builds that relationship where you're just going to be able to be more and more valuable to them. That that is beautiful. I am I am with you. You've got a you got a member of the choir here sitting across sitting across this uh, podcast from you. Uh, hey, I just thought of something that I, I would love your thoughts on this too, Frederick, because learning often happens best at the edge of uncomfortability. I'm not even sure if uncomfortability is a word, but I prefer it to discomfort. Okay, uncomfortability. And so, if folks like Vygotsky and others got it going on and truly know where the zone of proximal development is, educators often don't experience that because the zone of proximal development is about 20 points on their own grading scale below where they want to be in front of their friends, right? The ZPD is a darned uncomfortable place for educators and so if we are truly going to ever go there with folks around, we've got to have trust. And what better way to build trust than to let folks exactly like you just said it, work on what they are willing to do in front of others. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <clears throat> and, and the work, the work of growing, the work of supporting and growing. And I think it's, it's those two pieces in tandem, right? We need yeah. to support teachers. We need to grow teachers, help teachers grow. That's the work that drives a school. I think that's the work 
that drives us, right? We have administrators have two jobs. Number one, you keep everybody safe. Yep. You have to keep everybody. That's that's number one. And there's a there are a lot of processes and managerial practices that are absolutely critical that go into that. But the second thing is then to you know improve outcomes for kids. But how do we do that by helping create better teachers? Because teachers are the number one impact on what and how kids learn in school every day. So if we keep everybody safe and we grow teachers, then that's it. And you know, the, the challenge is prioritizing what's important over what's urgent because there's all these things screaming, especially for an assistant principal, all these things screaming at you at the same time. But I think if we kind of tie some of these things together here, that the way of being is to be that person that is teaching up, down, and around. That That's who mm. you have to be. You're an educator and you're in a role where you do have, you're surrounded up, down, and around. And so being that teacher, teaching consistently up, down, and around is how we move to that space where we are keeping everybody safe and where we're continually growing our teachers. You know, that's really well said. You, you, you hit on a couple of things that um, you, you may have seen as you, as you strolled through the book. Um, I, I used to use the acronym SODA, sort of like soda pop, but just soda for, for a different reason, because um, safety order discipline attendance is something that if you address it in that order, then there's a better chance that teaching and learning is going to be able to occur. Now, while you're doing safety order discipline attendance, I loved your important urgent stuff because we talk about that too. I used to have just this wonderful administrative assistant by the name of Barb, and we, we had back then a, a bin system. As I'd wander back into the office, there was stuff that was urgent, there was stuff that was important, there was stuff that was urgent and important, and there was stuff that was neither. And uh, hey, there's, a, there's really a right way and a wrong way of addressing those things. <laughs> Yeah. Well, yeah. So I'm better a, not so better. Yeah. I'm a huge Eisenhower matrix person. Okay. Um, uh -huh. and I, I've been working on my book. I, I finished up the, the first draft, uh, at the end of December. So I'm really excited about that. And I oh, think it's yeah. the first or second chapter I lead with the Eisenhower matrix, which is that those four quadrants of important and urgent, important, but not urgent where, but that's all your teacher development work, right? That's the challenge because it's, important, but it's not urgent. Right. And we have the urgent, but not important. And so that, that whole idea of the administrator's journey from being an urgent leader to being a leader, that's what I would call a strategic leader, who's more focused on the people than the tasks. That's so beautiful. beautiful. Yeah. Oh, We've covered a lot of ground today, Ryan. It's been it's been fun. I thank you so much for for having me, and and uh, I I just feel blessed to be hanging out with you. Good. Well, it's been good fun. I want to ask you three questions as we close out here. And the first one is, what part of your own leadership are you trying to get better at? Oh my goodness, I would like to. I would. I would have to say forgiving in advance. Forgiving in advance and trying to understand that my way of viewing the world is a work in progress. And um, I, I think it does. It does have to. It's probably a, a construction project of that adjacent space that I talked about today that I I just put the term to it. This, and it really was this morning. So forgiving in advance. Yes. Wow. That's that's a beautiful thing. I'm going to encourage listeners to hold on to that. Um, cool. And to think about as dear listener, think about what that means for you. Awesome. And if listeners could take just one thing away from today's podcast, what would it be? Well, I would say that you really can live at the intersection of your passion and purpose. And that never has to go away. And if you can find a career where you can matriculate through it, when, when things tap you on the shoulder and call you into different aspects of this career, but still maintain the intersection of your passion and purpose, you will go to work every single day of your life not thinking that you're going to work. And if you, if you go in like I do with a smile on your face, you're going to come home with an even bigger one, knowing that uh, 
you not only made a difference for other folks, but there was something that made a difference in you too today. And probably it's going to happen tomorrow too, because again, passion and purpose. All right. And finally, is there anything else that you'd like to share with listeners before we put a bow tie on this? Oh my goodness. Well, <clears throat> first of all, um, take life in baby steps. Be satisfied with the small wins. Um, offer a kind hello and an appropriate thank you whenever possible. And again, Frederick, I'll thank you. And I'd like to thank again my thought partner and uh, a, a really good group of folks at Solution Tree who made all other duties as assigned possible. But if you ever check out my book, please open up to the acknowledgement section. Look at those wonderful folks there. Look at the thought partners who helped me think through the content in terms of the editorial advisors in there. And, and also folks who are kind enough to take their time and talent and serve as endorsers. Um, but particularly what I did is I put folks who were my heroes throughout my career in education who inspired me to make that difference in the lives of other folks, whether they're kids or adults. I put them right in the acknowledgments and uh, displayed them prominently um, because I wanted to, in small part, offer my thank you to them like, Frederick, I'm offering a thank you to you today. I, I appreciate that. Um, and And if listeners want to go find your book if they want to learn oh. more about you. We'll include links in the show notes, but real real briefly, where should they go? Hey, great. Just, just hop on Solution Tree's website, take a look at the books under leadership. You can go under the consultants. Uh, I'm in the consultants um, group there. Um, the book's easy to find. It, it's all over the internet. If you'd like something just to um, tease out what's in my head and heart, since Solution Tree was kind in publishing all other duties as assigned, I've got the blog, all other duties as assigned.blogspot.com. And uh, probably what I'm going to do, I, I might, I think I'm inspired. I'm even going to, my next post is going to be called An Adjacent Space. I, I <laughs> trust me. And then eventually, I think what I'll do is, is uh, try to time the, the most current rendition of my teaching up, down, and around for for when this uh, podcast airs, Frederick. And so we can have readers that can toggle back and forth and see all your good stuff. What, how many episodes do you have now? Are you around darn near a hundred or, or something like that? Where are you at? Uh, we're closing in. Uh, yeah. I actually got to record episode 100 um, right before Christmas break with oh! my mentor. <laughs> and and uh, yeah, so we're actually using this episode that people are going to be listening to right now is really kicking off I think the month of February for us, okay. uh, which is a focus on mentoring and a focus on how as educational leaders, how we, how we have a lasting impact on people. And that's mm -hmm. never going to be about the programs that we design. It's never going to be about our frameworks or, you know, or what test scores our kids achieve. Mm -hmm. That lasting impact is always going to be about the influence that we have on individuals and on people and the relationships we build. And, and it's funny, there's been five times today that you've talked about people, the fifth grade teacher or other people that have had a big influence on you. And, you know, I keep going back all through this conversation to something that, that my mentor said to me about, uh, you don't know what you don't know. And, oh, yeah. and so we, we are, you know, we are the result of the people who have invested in us and, yep. and for us to, I think, really achieve success and meaning, we need to be so much more mindful of the impact that we have on others around us. And sometimes that's, that's coaching, it's mentoring, it's all these different things. But yeah, this podcast is kicking off that whole idea about, you know, recognizing how we touch others and and making that part of our of the way we are of the way of being is that we recognize what we bring to that and how valuable that is and uh, a good friend of mine Craig Martin said every day we have the opportunity to decide how we're going to show up in the world and how we're going to show up for other people it doesn't matter how bad our day was we still have the opportunity to decide how we show up for other people that's a way of being right there. That yeah. really is. Isn't that cool? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. We will, we will include all the links to everything and, and we'll be coordinating everything as we roll this thing out. 
So Ryan, thank you so much for joining me today. It's just been awesome. Oh, likewise. Thanks, Frederick. Really appreciate it. Really appreciate you. And uh, again, happy new year. I, I do appreciate this and, and hope to hang out with you again. All right. Well, colleagues, this brings us to the point in the episode where it's your turn to participate by making an intentional choice. If you do nothing with what you've just heard, then you've spent the last 30 or 40 or 50 or so minutes being entertained. But if you do choose to do something, then you'll have made an investment in your own leadership. If you already have a clear idea on how you can apply what you heard in this episode, that's wonderful. If not, let me offer three possibilities. First, I noted at the end of this show that we will devote February to mentoring. Throughout the month, I will be asking you to think about the people who have mentored you and, just as importantly, about the people you may or should be mentoring. So let's start right now with the most accessible mentor-mentee relationship, the principal and assistant principal. And if you're an instructional coach or other school-based position, you can translate that into what makes most sense for you. It still might come back to the school principal. If you are in a district or county office situation, you can think about the superintendent, assistant superintendent, or director relationship. Either way, consider that mentoring really is a two-way process. Whether you are the mentor or the mentee, what can you do to enhance the quality of that relationship? Another thing you can do is forward the show link to a colleague and say, hey, this was a great show. I want you to listen to it, and then we can talk about it. Or third, identify one big takeaway or maybe one big question from this episode and just share it with me. Type it into an email or record a quick audio or video on your phone and send it to me. You can reach me at frederick at frederickbuskey.com. Thank you for including me on your leadership journey. Remember that you can walk more with me by subscribing to my daily leadership email and quadrant two, my monthly micro journal. And if that isn't enough, we can walk further together in Apex, my virtual paid community for assistant principals. Apex helps you network with other APs and participate in group coaching with me. You can learn more about Apex and my other offerings at frederickbuskey.com. I look forward to seeing you again on Friday when we recap this week's daily emails and next Tuesday when we interview Eleanor McCauley, a wonderful K-8 principal who shares with us the inner working of her flywheel and how she drives consistent teacher development. It will be a great show. You are not going to want to miss it. I'm Frederick Buskey, and thank you again for joining me on this episode of the Assistant Principal Podcast. Remember to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. Cheers.